grateful for the presence of everyone tonight. If you consider yourself a visitor, we're especially glad you're here. I appreciate the prayer on my, on my behalf. Uh, hopefully, the things that we will have to say will bring something to your mind that will encourage you, that will lift you up, and that will help you um, as we live here uh, trying to serve God the best that we can. I appreciate Wyatt leading that song. I ask him to do that because our topic tonight is the battle belongs to the Lord. There's a lot in that song uh, that we may not uh, necessarily pick out uh, as we sing it, but it's very much in accordance with what the Scripture teaches. So I've been thinking about this topic uh, probably for five years or so. Um, when I was in Amarillo struggling uh, to overcome addiction, one of our evangelists that works with us made a comment to me that kind of caught me off guard. He simply said, the battle's the Lord's. And I thought, <clears throat> I thought the battle was mine. <laughs> and it was really hard to piece that together for me. Um, and I, I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know if you've thought much about it. The struggles that you have, if someone were to ask you or tell you the battle is the Lord's, how do you feel about that? I believe that it is. I believe as children of God, our battles are God's because we're His. And if we have the right frame of mind that we're concerned with the things that we do glorifying God, then I believe we'll fall right in with how that aligns. When we sing that song, the battle belongs to the Lord, what do you, what do you think about? Do you think about the battle of Jericho that Joshua fought? Do you think about um, Jehoshaphat's battle when he was king of Judah? Do you think about David's battle with Goliath? Or do you think about your battles? And you think about those being God's battles. In 1 Samuel, we have a couple examples I'd like to look at in, in the Scriptures. 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, beginning of verse 40. Very uh, well-known story to us. It's about David and Goliath. And in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, beginning at verse 40, it says, And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even a pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, and ruddy, and of fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, I am a dog, or am I a dog, that you come to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then, then said David to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you, and I will give you... I will give 
the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the God saves not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a, sl- a stone and slang it and, st- and struck the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell his- upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and struck the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. If we could be so confident when we have a battle, when we face our giants, that we say, you're going to be slain uh, in the name of God. And we deal with it that way. And we let God fight our battle. We often, though, get caught up in the, the struggles and our personal desires and our selfishness, and it makes the battle hard to fight. In Chronicles, Second Chronicles, the 20th chapter, we have here the battle of Jehoshaphat, beginning at verse 15, it says, And he said, Hearken, all of you, all Judah, and all of you inhabitants, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor be dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go all of you down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and all of you shall find them at the end of the brook, before the wilderness of Jerol. All of you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand all of you still, and see the salvation of the Lord. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping him. We love these accounts of victory, of God having fought the battle for his people. Sometimes I think, though, when we read these accounts and we teach them to our kids, that we use that terminology, that God was great and God fought the battles. When I think that we should be saying God is great and God fights the battles. See, it just takes a different pretense to make the whole thing different. Is God doing anything for us today? Or did he just do things in the past and in history? We love the story of Joseph. And we even look at that as a a success of God. But the story's different. The first two stories we talked about happened within a day or two days. When we look at the story of Joseph, I want you to think about how we relate to that and how we look at what went with Joseph um, as discouragement when we look at it with ourselves. So, this occurrence that happened when Joseph was sold by his brothers affected many people. And that's one of the things that I want us to notice about 
the battles that we face. One situation can cause innumerable battles for different people and different battles. When Joseph was sold into slavery, um, it was a battle for him. I mean, think about your brothers threw you in a pit. They were going to kill you. They changed their mind, and they just sold you off as a slave. So it was a battle that he had to face. It was a battle for his dad. They went home and told him he was dead. How did, how did you how do you reconcile with that? I would wager that it was even a battle for his brothers. Surely they had some sense of feeling, although they did allow their dad to believe that their brother had been killed. So not sure how sympathetic they were and how much that bothered them. But God fought this battle for Joseph. So um, in Genesis, the 50th chapter, beginning of verse 17, So shall all of you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray you now, the trespass of your brethren and their sin, for they did unto you evil. And now we pray, forgive the trespass of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be your servants. And Joseph said to them, Fear not, for I am, am I in the place of God. But as for you, all of you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear all of you not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly unto them. So Joseph was 17 when his brothers sold him into slavery. He was 30, or in his 30s, um, at the time they came to meet him when he was over uh, all of Pharaoh's business. That's quite a while. It's quite a while for you not to know really what's going on. It's quite a while for you to think God is not helping quite a while for you to think that you've been deserted what's happening how is this in God's plan do you ever feel that way do your trials become so heavy that you wonder why you're stuck or why God is allowing you to stay in this situation that you're in we never hear Joseph question that we're not given the his side of that account but, you know, he was sold into slavery. He was thrown into prison for something he didn't do. He was promised by somebody that they would remind the Pharaoh when they got out of prison about him, but they didn't, not for two years. But yet, it seems Joseph had faith and trusted in God and did not become bitter because of the situation. So will God fight your battles for you? I realize you're not in slavery. I realize you're not coming up against a physical person that's uh, several feet taller than you. I realize that you've not been called to fight a battle out in the fields for your nation. But we have battles. Every person that lives on this earth has battles, and it's inevitable. Some battles that we face are caused by our own choices and our actions. Some battles that we face are caused by other people's choices and their actions. Some battles 
are because of temptations that we give into. Some battles are because our hopes and our dreams have just been squandered and squashed by life. We get disappointed. Things that are out of our control. Sickness, death, aging, and all that comes with those things. These are disappointments, and they're huge. They affect our life. And if anybody said they didn't, I, you know, I don't, I don't think they would be telling the truth. We struggle with life. And sometimes they're our biggest battles. But you know the Scripture gives us examples of all of these kinds of things that people faced in the Bible. There were examples of people that fought their own battles. We recalled uh, David and Bathsheba and the mess that that created. David had a battle to face. Not only because he had an affair, but because she was with child. And not only because she was with child, but he killed her husband to cover it up. What did he, what was he thinking? How was he dealing with that? Well, we know he kept it to himself. And we know it caused him great pain because of the way he dealt with the problem. The children of Israel were led out of Egypt after years of suffering and bondage. It didn't take long for them to complain because they were scared. It was a new land. And, and I just thought today, you know, part of the problem maybe is they were used to being taken care of by Egypt. Their daily needs were met. They didn't have any worries. They had work. And they had hard work. But to be led away from that into a wilderness where you're not used to trusting anyone um, for your supplies, it was scary. But they did not handle it right. And so God caused them to wander in the wilderness. The apostles faced a battle at the arrest of Jesus. Can you imagine what that would be like? Remember what Peter did? He reacted and he picked up a sword and he cut the ear off of the high priest's servant. They didn't handle the battle well. Judas at the trial of Jesus. What a battle. And how he handled it himself, it was not good. He killed himself. Christ followers at the crucifixion. All the hope. Talk about your hopes being dashed. All your hope in the salvation of your nation and your people, gone in an instant. But we also have people in Scripture that let God fight their battles. You recall Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel when they refused to bow down to the golden image. They let God fight their battle. Yeah, they were thrown into the furnace, but they came out. Daniel, with Nebuchadnezzar's decree to worship him, when he refused, he was thrown into the den of lions. He let God fight his battle and he came out okay. The Roman centurion with the sick child that came to Jesus. He had a battle. His kid was dying. There was nothing he could do, but he came to Christ. And Christ won the battle for him. Jesus choice to redeem us because of someone else's decision someone else decided to disobey god jesus gave his life 
so that all of us could be reconciled to him. It's a battle. Naomi's battle, losing her sons in the book of Ruth. Ruth losing her husband and following Naomi. All of those things done by following God and doing the things that he would have them do. And they worked out. Have you ever thought the battle that Adam, Adam and Eve had in their heads after they disobeyed God? All of humanity cursed because of the decision that they made. But you know, and I hadn't really thought about it till doing this study, God fought their battle. He could have easily destroyed, and there'd been no hope. But he went to work immediately, even at the pronunciation, the, whatever that is, the pronouncing of their sufferings, the things that would happen to them, during that, he told them, there's going to be a Savior that's going to come from you. Is that not amazing, how much care God has for us? Scripture teaches us that we neither live to ourselves or die to ourselves. There's always multiple layers of consequences from the battles caused by life. You know, my... Just as an example, my choices several years ago was a battle. It caused a battle for me. But it caused a battle for Helen Ann that was completely different. Me leaving our family caused a battle for her. It caused a battle for my children that's different than the battle that she faced. It caused a battle for my parents that was completely different. It caused a battle for you as members of this congregation. It caused a battle for the elders of this congregation to try to decide how to respond to what I had done. One choice, numerous battles, and all different. And they can all be fought separately by people trying to do it themselves, or we can all try to turn the problem to God and let Him fight the battle for us. So how do we handle the battles? Will God fight your battles, or are you left to yourself? I've heard some people say, God does not meddle in our lives. I've heard people say, we are not pawns like a chess piece. And I don't believe that we are. We're given free will. Some people say that things happen to us that are good because they're in the right place at the right time. And it just worked out that way. Some people will say bad things happen because we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it just worked out that way. What do you think? What do you believe? If you really believe that there is no interaction of God in our life, why do you pray? Why do you ask God to intervene? If you don't believe He will, why do you ask? And if you ask, what does the Scripture say? Ask believing and you will receive. You know, I had a misguided belief at one time that, that these stories that we read about David and Goliath and Jehoshaphat and Joseph, they were stories about how God dealt with them, but the dealing of God with people ended at the death of Christ. Don't ask me why I thought that. I don't, I don't know that I was ever directly taught that. But we really don't delve a lot into God acting 
in our lives because there's some crazy people out there that think God does everything for them and we don't want to look like that, right? It's, I mean, I don't know why. I don't know why we think that God would just leave us to ourselves. In, uh, when, when Christ healed on the Sabbath day and they were so upset, the high priests were so upset with them, he said in response to them, my father has been working still and I am working. Did God quit working when Christ died on the cross? No, he didn't. I think he's very active. And he's active in our lives. So what changed when Christ died? We know the old law was left behind. And we know that God speaks to us now through His Son, through the Word. But you know what didn't change? God's nature. God did not change. His love is the same as it was. His care is the same as it was. His provisions are the same as they were. So let me ask, are you a person that would say, I believe that God is active in my life and brings about things for me for good? It's just a point to think. Would you say that? So the scripture teaches that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. So is the scripture right? And how do we work our way around that? So we either let him fight the battles or we get in the way. You know, I fought battles the wrong way by myself and I was unsuccessful for a long time. I fought battles the wrong way and somehow got my way, but it wasn't really a win because it wasn't the will of God. God's fought my battles for me and I've been victorious. You know, we can't worry our way to victory. We cannot busy our way to freedom from trouble. We can't complain our way out of disappointment. We can't be anxious to the point of success. We can't be good enough to earn achievements. We can't take ourselves out of the situation by suicide or just thinking that, you know, all is lost and win. We can't deny a problem exists and assume that we've won the battle because we ignore it. But what about when things happen and there's just nothing we can do? It just hurts. We're hurting. Things are bad. There's not really decisions. It's just life is a mess and, and we're, we're hurting. What do we do? As a child of God, I want to encourage you by telling you that God will act on your behalf. In Proverbs, the third chapter, beginning at verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. And that, right there, sometimes is one of the hugest problems. How do we lean not on understanding we don't understand? In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. So was that something that just applied to David? Was that something that just applied to the children of Israel? Or does that apply to you? Do you believe that? Isaiah, the 64th chapter in verse 4, 
assures us that God acts on our behalf if we wait on Him. Sometimes that's the problem. We get in a hurry. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you, who acts for the one who waits for him. Sometimes it's hard to be patient. And we have record of those kind of examples as well in the scripture. You remember the promise that God made to Abraham, how all the children of the earth, or all the people of the earth were going to be blessed by a child that was going to be his. And they got older, and they got older, and they got older, and there was no child. So they intervened for themselves. They followed their plans. And they have Ishmael. Wasn't part of the plan. And God was faithful still to do what he promised. But they created a mess, really, for themselves because they didn't trust God. They didn't allow God to fight their battle. They tried to do it on their own. So if we struggle with this question of does God act for you? Does He fight for you? Does He move for you? What causes the doubt? Why do we doubt? Is it because of the time that it takes God to act on the problems? Possibly. I mean, we just talked about Notable people of faith in Scripture who got in a hurry and made a mess of their life because they couldn't wait. What about Joseph? What about us and our struggles? Is 13 years too long for you to say, God, God is working in my life? If you haven't seen anything in 13 years, can you say God is working in my life? Yeah, I think we can. But... It comes by faith, right? We have to believe. We have to believe the truth. It's not always about the feelings. It doesn't feel like God is making good on His promise. But the thing is, we know what He says about being able to tell the truth or to lie. If God promises it, then it's going to happen. Is it the inability for us to view our problems from His perspective? Sometimes, yes. We have a very limited, minute, forward sight of the situation that involves us. It's like a microscope is on this one little thing, and we don't see anything else. But God has a perspective. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by space. He's not bound by anything. But we can't see that. And unfortunately, sometimes the thing that we're looking at is our selfishness. And I can tell you, God's not going to fight a battle for your desire if it's selfish. Scripture teaches us that. It's not going to happen. We're told that sometimes we don't have. Why? Because we don't ask. But sometimes we don't have because we ask amiss. Because we want to heap something upon ourselves. See, the perspective has to change. If we're ready for the answer to our problem to be God's answer, then there's no problem. If we're good with whatever God does, then He wins the battle for us and calls it a victory, 
then it will be a victory. When we consider the outsider's view on Joseph and his situation, it did not look like that God was acting on his behalf. He was sold into slavery. He was in prison. But if we look at it from a heavenly perspective, and we can because the whole account's written for us, then things were right on track. So the same is true in our lives. When we're waiting on God to act, when we think He hasn't acted, could it be He's preparing us for a future answer that comes, what, just at the right time? Because God's timing is never late. It's never early either, but it's right on time. Or maybe he's teaching us to trust him to walk by faith and not by sight. Because we'll go back to Joseph. If you're looking at walking by sight, Joseph didn't see it. Like literally, if you were looking at his situation, you could not see that God was working. However, having faith that he's working, because you're his child, then you know that he still is. Sometimes he may withhold our desires because what we would have goes against his will or what he would desire. Sometimes those are hard to reconcile. Do you recall how God dispersed the land of Canaan to the children of Israel? He didn't throw them in there and give it all to them at one time. And he may lie. He did it little by little. And he says, because if he didn't, they would be overwhelmed by the land. It's a compassionate thing. Sometimes it doesn't look like it, but God knows what we need. Do you recall that when God led the children, out, or when Moses led the children out of the land of Egypt, that he took them the long way around to the Red Sea? Why? Because God said, lest they see the war in the land of the Philistines and return. God was protecting them for what they were not ready for. See, we don't always see what God sees. But if we trust Him, because He says He's faithful, then we can be happy and not be anxious and not wonder why things are taking so long but we can just know that God knows what's going on. I want you to notice a little bit about some, the characteristics of people who, fought, um, who let God fight their battles. And we're specifically going to look just at a few things about Jehoshaphat. You can look at the things of David. You can look at Joseph. You can look at anyone who let God fight their battles, and they'll have the same characteristics But Jehoshaphat was humble. 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter, beginning at, let's just start um, at verse 4, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared because he heard that there was going to be war. He was going to be attacked. And he set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. 
Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Thou rulest over all the kingdoms of the heathen, and in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. Art thou not our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? You see what he's doing? He's humbling himself. He's telling God how great he is. He's thanking him for all the things he's done. He's recognizing that God's kept his word. In verse 9 it says, If when evil cometh upon us as a sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. He's very confident in what God will do. In the 12th verse, he says, Will you not judge them? For we don't have any might against them. Neither do we know what to do. And here's, here's the clincher of why God wanted to fight for them. But our eyes are set upon you. You know, sometimes we don't know what to do. And the best thing to do is just focus on God. You know the verse that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all the other things that you're worrying about will be given to you? Pretty simple, really, isn't it? Seek first God. He'll take care of the rest. It sounds too simple and too good to be true. In James, the fourth chapter in verse 6, it says, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God does not want us to be approaching him in a proud and arrogant way. The scripture says that that is an abomination to him. The second thing about Jehoshaphat is he realized, he realized that his battle was the Lord's. So what is the result? when God fights a battle for you and is victorious. So what happens? What happened when he was victorious with David? What happened when he was victorious with Joseph? What was the result? He was glorified. He glorified himself. Does it make it easier to see why God would want to fight the battles of his children today? Because when you win, people notice. They notice that God is great. They notice that He is the God of heaven and earth. In 2 Chronicles, the, 15th chapter, the 20th chapter and verse 15, it says, And He said, Hearken all of you, all Judah, and all you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, do not be dismayed of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. They didn't have to lift a finger. There are some things they did. The next thing that we want to notice is to position yourself in victory. For us, position yourself 
in Christ's victory. He's won the battle. In 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 17, it says, And you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand all of you still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. So what applies to us today in that area? In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, beginning at verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that all of you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the best breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith all of you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So what does that tell us? What does it tell us about the battle? What does it tell us about God's power and how we should act? I know we've talked about it before, that all of this armor is defensive in nature. The only thing that is offensive in nature is the word, the sword, which is the word of God. The rest of it is defensive. And if you look at this scripture, how many times does he say stand, stand, stand? He doesn't tell us to attack. He tells us to defend. These are the battles. God will attack if we allow Him to. If we set our goal with what God's goal would be, then half the battle's already won. The next thing that Jehoshaphat did um, was to not fear. How many times does the Scripture tell us not to fear? Fear not. Do not fear. 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter and verse 17 says, All of you shall not need fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand all of you still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Do you think that was easy for them to stand still, to don't? Don't be afraid. You know there's three, three different kingdoms coming at you. But don't worry about it. Don't be dismayed. What, what if, I mean, put, put yourself there. Would, be, would we be wringing our hands? We're going to face three armies. We can't do this. Or would we really trust God? 
that he would take care of the problem. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, beginning at verse 5. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do to me. So let me just put the correlation. If, if God, Christ, did not help us, if he did not help us in this life, why would the scripture be here? That we should say, the Lord is my helper. He's already won the war. He's already given us forgiveness. What, what else is there? We're told he lives to make intercession for us what he's doing now and we're told that he's our helper and I shouldn't fear the other thing that the scripture shows that Jehoshaphat did was worship in 2nd Chronicles 20 beginning at verse um, 18 it says and Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. So just think about what's going on here. Jehoshaphat's told there's going to be three armies coming at you. He seeks the Lord. He asks what to do. And this is before anything's happened. He falls on his face, and he worships God. What is the first thing that we do when we encounter trouble? Do we do that first? Do we pray? Do we become anxious and we talk to other people, or we go looking for outside help other than the Scriptures? How do we handle our battles? He worshiped. Worship is an attitude of surrender and submission to God. In James, the fourth chapter, in verse 7, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. This is not how the world talks about going into battle. They don't talk about humbling yourself. They don't talk about weeping and mourning, throwing yourself at the mercy of God, and worshiping him. But the scripture does. We're given those examples repeatedly. The last thing that I want to look that Jehoshaphat did was he attacked the problem with praise. In 2 Chronicles 20, beginning at verse 20. It says, And they rose early in the morning, and they went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and all of you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall all of you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall all of you prosper. And when he had consulted with all the people... He appointed singers unto the Lord 
that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for His mercy endureth forever. Again, this is before the battle happened that they thought they were going to. They worshipped, they praised, they sang, they glorified, and they magnified God. And I love this part. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Is it amazing? Is it too simple? What is it? Do we understand that worship and praise and giving God, God the glory causes Him to act for us? In Psalms 148, beginning at verse 13, it says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is excellent. His glory is above heaven and earth. In all the battles we've looked at that God won for people, I want to remind you that the victory caused Him to be glorified. So when you say, I'm not good enough for God to fight my battle, I would agree. Neither am I. But it's by grace that He fights the battles for His children. If we look at prideful nature and say, I've, you know, this can't happen because of who I am, the reason God wants to fight your battles and wants to win is because he can be glorified, his son can be glorified, the church can be glorified just because we let him do that. If we refuse to let him do that, he is not glorified. I want to encourage you tonight to give your battle to God. I know that when we look at the things that we fight against, principalities, powers, what else can we do? It's not something we can physically attack. And if we hope to win, then we have to give the battle to God. I hope this study's been interesting to you and may cause you to think about how we deal with our life and our struggles. If there's one here this evening who has not named the name of Christ and would like to do that and to be baptized into the family, uh, we would invite you to come. Or if there's someone here who would desire the prayers of the church, we'd ask you to come as well and have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing.